So it's Father's Day, and um, you know, this year and this time, 2020 has been a year that we'll never forget. Quite honestly, so much happening in our world. So much has happened since, uh, you know, March, and, and as we entered into this year, we could have never perceived or anticipated what the Lord was going to do in this season. And as we've even now continued forward over the last month to see uh, the eruption of tensions and pain that so many are feeling, especially our black brothers and sisters, as we've seen uh, these roots of uh, racism and other things surface again and and really been reminded that there's still a ways to go as a nation, uh, we believe that God is really preparing the ground for an incredible revival, that the Lord wants to do something special in this season. And just this Friday was a date on the calendar that maybe many of us weren't as familiar with, but it's been around for a very long time. It's called Juneteenth, June 19th. And this year, I think in the midst of everything that's been going on, that has been risen up and, and really spotlighted and highlighted. And as I've learned uh, more about the history, you know, I spent time on Friday just specifically praying for God to heal our land, for the freedom that the Lord um, can bring to us would be experienced in a special way. But let me take some time, maybe some of you aren't as familiar with uh, this holiday, this day that commemorates such a special moment in history. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. On June 19th, 1865, it was a day that the news of freedom had finally reached the outermost parts, the outskirts of the United States at that time. You see, if you're a history buff, um, you might know some other dates, and you say this is a little bit confusing because slavery ended in America in 1863. That's when the Emancipation Proclamation was actually brought down as an executive order from President Lincoln. And so that's what really abolished slavery in the United States. So what's the deal with this other date in 1863 and now 1865? That's a pretty big gap, two and a half years. Yeah, it's sad to think of it, but this is the reality. It took two and a half years for that message of freedom to fully reach the farthest outskirts of our nation and for those whom had already been set free to experience the reality of their freedom. And so as I'm thinking about that in this past Friday, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm feeling overwhelmed by just learning. Come on, church family, isn't it good that we have never arrived, that we need to continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to become who God's want us to be? Um, and so as I'm thinking about this, I could just feel the presence of the Lord like touching my heart and, and, and I'm praying for my brothers and sisters and I'm just praying for this reality. And the Lord put just a thought in my heart that I want to share with you today as I think about that, especially the two and a half year gap between the Emancipation Proclamation and this moment of Juneteenth when, whenever in Galveston, Texas, the, the real tangible expression of freedom finally came to those who were enslaved that there is a difference, hear me, there is a difference between the availability of freedom and the tangibility of freedom. There's one thing for it to be available, and there's another thing for it to be experienced. It's one thing for someone to just say, oh, yes, it's there, but for me to really take hold of it and know it for myself, there's a difference. Come on, ask those that were enslaved at that time if there was a difference between that proclamation coming down from President Lincoln and the day when their chains were released and they were set free. There's nothing like experiencing it. I would say the same is true about the love of God. There is a difference between the availability of God's love 
and the tangibility of it. It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to experience it for yourself. And I'm thankful today that we have the opportunity to experience the tangible expression of God's love in our hearts and in our lives. I think there's a principle being lived out here. It's not good enough just for something to be available. It's most important that it is an experience for every single one of us that we could truly take heart in it, that we can't just sit back. Could you imagine, you know, over 200 years ago, almost 200 years ago, for them to sit back and say, you know what, the Emancipation Proclamation is good enough. I know I've heard that there's still some slavery going on over in Texas or wherever, but come on, I mean, the the nation for the most part is good, right? It's okay that over in those, uh, you know, far recesses and crevices that that's still happening, but but for for the greater part, it's okay. It's no big deal. No, I'm thankful that there were leaders at that time that said we will not stop until we get to every place where this darkness is and see it gone in our land. I think the same thing's happening in this day and age. Many would say, you know, these racial tensions, all this stuff, it, it, come on, it's, it's, it's a thing of the past. It's not an issue. But I think the Spirit of the Lord is stirring something up to say, no, if it's anywhere, if there's still it hiding in some crevice, let's see it gone. Let's see it end. Let's see it done forever. Let's see God really bring his healing to our land. Amen? Are you with me? I feel that deep in my heart today. And I think that that gets at a passage of Scripture that, that shows the greater love of God. Because this is the heart of God, that the Lord loves every single one of us. He loves us even when we're unlovely. He loves us even when we don't deserve it. He loves us even when we're far off in a mess. He loves us even when we're lost. He loves us right where we are, and he loves us too much to let us stay in that place. And so I love to just take some time on Father's Day to understand the depths of the greater love of the Father seen in our God, in his word. So turn with me to Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We're going to spend time in this uh, chapter of Scripture because I think, like none other, it really shows and demonstrates the greater love of the Father on this Father's Day. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 15. Let's just look at the first three verses. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Take that in again. The tax collectors and the sinners were all doing what? Gathering around to hear Jesus. But, verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's what's going on in this moment in time. You have tax collectors and sinners. They were those that were held in arm's length. They were on the outskirts, on the fringes of society. They were those that were not very welcomed um, among the religious leaders. And then you have the religious elite, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They know all about God. They know all about God's love. They, they know all of these things. They know the Torah. They've committed themselves to study God's word. And so when Jesus comes... God in the flesh, many would have expected when God shows up, who is he going to be spending his time with? Who is he going to be spending his energies uh, congregating with, fellowshipping with, being with? You would think it's the religious people, the people that love God, the people that have spent their lives trying to draw near to him and know him. But as Jesus comes, he's doing almost the opposite of what they would expect that God would be doing or someone that's saying they're here as a messenger from God, even though he was God in the flesh. And so they're, they're all kinds of confused about what Jesus is doing. 
Because when you ate with someone, you were actually lifting them up. You were showing preferential treatment to them. You were actually honoring them just to eat with someone. It, it carried such a weight, such a place of prominence that you were elevating them. And it's like Jesus is lifting up those that maybe shouldn't be lifted up at this time. This feels weird. This feels strange. So why is he doing this? They muttered it to themselves, but Jesus could see what was going on in their hearts all along. So the Lord told them this parable. And this parable he told was a three-part story that helped to continue to underline this one key reality that helps us to understand the heart of the Father, the heart of God's love, the depths of the greater love of God, one that we can't fully comprehend until we've experienced it for ourselves. And so here's what he goes on to tell these three stories. And one is about a sheep, one is about a coin, and then one is about a son. And I just want us to read through these this morning and just talk a little bit about it and understand this a bit more. And I want you to really ask the Lord as we enter into this word, Lord, where am I today? What seat am I sitting in? Because I believe every single one of us, as we hear God's word today, we're somewhere in this story. Our lives are somewhere in the midst of this and, and, and I pray that by the end of it, we can all be in the right place, the place that God would desire for us to be. So, Heavenly Father, help us today. You said, and we say it again, Lord God, let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to his church. And so, Lord, we pray. We want to have ears. Come on right now. If you want to hear from the Lord, just tell him, Lord, I want to hear from you today. Lord, I, I ask today, no one hears from me, Pastor Chris. I want them to hear from you. So, Lord, I ask you, and whatever said, Lord God, in these moments as we read your word and as we speak this out, Lord God, breathe upon it. Lord God, bring it to life. Speak into our hearts, Lord God. Your word is alive and active and has the power to transform our hearts and lives. We need that today, Lord God, more than ever. Help us to know your greater love, Lord, as we open your word and see your heart on display. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking here at Luke chapter 15 in the first part of this parable, this story. It says this. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's the first story Jesus tells about why he's sitting and doing what he's doing. He said, don't, don't you get it? You know, inside of some of the hearts of the Pharisees might have been at that moment, why is he eating with them and inferring why isn't he eating with us? Why is, he, why is he showing this treatment? Why is he leaning in to them whenever here we are? We've done what's right. I mean, why wouldn't he want to spend time with us? Whatever that might have been. Jesus tells this story. Some of you, if you just think about it, I mean, there's a lot being assumed here. He says, come on, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and you lose one. Thinking, one out of 99. Would you not leave the 99 behind? What? No, no. What if I, when I leave the 99, what if five more of them get lost? What if a wolf is standing over waiting that's going to come and take them out? What if, you know, what, what's going on? Why? No, I wouldn't maybe. Maybe I would just count my losses and I'd move on. He says, that's the difference between the way you love and think and the way God loves and thinks. Because for us, what all we do is we, we, we have a way of valuing. 
And we think of it very broadly, sometimes and very superficially. But here's the thing. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Come on, when it's not your sheep, that's the way you think about it. I got 99. It's like I got that. And, and, and it's like if I had $100 and I lost one, would I go crazy? We'll get to that in a moment when we talk about the coin. But it's like, no, but whenever he knows each one of those sheep, his heart breaks for the one that's on the side. His heart breaks for the one who's hurting on the side. And he would go to any lengths to crawl down, to lift up, to put on his shoulder, to go into whatever mess that sheep might have found itself in, any pit it might have fallen into, and he would do whatever he could to do that. But not just go through that expense of finding and rescuing, but then to go home and throw a celebration and tell everyone else, my sheep, the one that was lost, has been found. Come and rejoice with me. This is the joy of God over anyone that's lost, anyone that's marginalized, anyone that's hurting, anyone that's on the outskirts, being saved, being welcomed in, being welcomed into the family of God. It's a beautiful picture, but it shows the level and depths of God's love that he's willing to go to, to rescue and save those that are in need at a different time, wherever they might find themselves, whatever they might be walking through. We see that. We see that his love is willing to reach further than many of us are comfortable with. Come on, this might make some of us uncomfortable because it's like, you know what? This doesn't make any sense to me. This isn't the way that I would operate. I would just challenge you to allow your thoughts to come under God's thoughts. Say, if this is the way that the Lord loves, if this is the way that the Lord lives, if this is the way that the Lord demonstrates his love, then let me learn something from it. We go down to the next passage of Scripture, and it says this. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel over one sinner who repents. Now again, some of us from a practical standpoint would say, I wonder how much money this woman makes an hour or a day. I wonder how long she would be looking and, and I wonder if it would really make sense that if she just spent her time working or doing something else, she could have made up for that lost coin. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? But again, we're missing it because he sees value in the individual he sees value in the one. He sees value in that which is lost. He sees it. He feels it. He's burdened for it. And he desires for this, for us to have the same heart and same love. These are all parts and attributes of the love that God has for us. And here's what Jesus says. Love one another in the way that I've loved you. Love each other in this same kind of way. So if you know someone that's marginalized and hurting, we have brothers and sisters who might feel marginalized or hurting at this hour. The greatest thing we could do is go to them, be with them, grieve with them, sit with them. We could have others that are experiencing God's healing power and presence in their lives. Be with them, be near to them. There are some that are vulnerable at this hour. You know, there, there are so many, as we've seen this eruption happening in our day, I have talked to two sets of parents. I've talked to parents 
Come on, church, just being real for a second. I've talked to parents that have said, I have to be careful to tell my son who's black that to not go outside at night, to not go walk a dog, to not go there, because I'm afraid of what might happen to them. And I've talked to parents who are like, my son is a law enforcement officer, and I'm afraid that he's going to be poisoned, killed, or something's going to happen to him during one of the protests or during something. I'm talking to those same people that are all a part of our body. Are you with me? And guess what? We grieve for all of that. Because that's not the heart of God. God's heart is for those that are hurting, those that are afraid, those that feel vulnerable at this time. Listen to me, if you're in that place, if you're afraid, if you're vulnerable, if you feel at this hour just so overwhelmed because of everything that's happening, I want you to know something. There's a Heavenly Father that loves you. And he is willing to go to any lengths to demonstrate that love to you. That you won't just know about it, but that you would experience it for yourselves. And we're here for you. Your pastors, your leaders, we'll do anything we can to help with that. To walk with you, to guide you, to lead you. Come on, church family. We have to be at the forefront of demonstrating the love of God in these moments. I pray that this room would be erupting with amens if it was full right now. Or maybe it would be really quiet like whenever we hear those uncomfortable things. I'm not sure what it's like right now. But come on, if you're with me, then say amen. If you're with me and you understand it, then come on, let's, let's understand this. Let's stand under this word. And then we get to this final part of this story that Jesus shares and unfolds in Luke 15. So it starts with 99, 100, and there's one. Then it goes down to 10, and then there's one. And then it goes down to two, two sons, and one of them becomes lost. But it becomes so personal at this moment. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out. He made himself a slave, a servant to a citizen of that country and what that person sent him to do was to go into the fields and feed the pigs. Now, this is a Jewish boy in this context, going and feeding the pigs. There is so few things that could be so defiling or humiliating for a family, a Jewish family at that time, than to literally say, I or my son or my child has reduced themselves to feeding the pigs. In verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Could you, I mean, could you imagine being at that point, that low point, where you're so desperate? Some of you know exactly what that was like. Maybe that's where the Lord found you. Maybe that's a part of your story, that there are things in your life that you, were, you had done that you're so ashamed of, that you feel like so humiliated about, like, how could I ever even have thought that way? This is what's going on. This is the story that Jesus is telling and some you could be so frustrated because he took, whenever you would divide an estate in the younger son, he is um, ultimately going to receive one-third of that estate. The older son gets two-thirds, and then the younger son gets one-third. And so he took a third of everything his father had. I mean, if that were to happen in my, in my day, we would have to sell real estate. We would have to sell one of our cars. We'd have to do all kinds of things. So who knows what the father had to liquidate to give the son what he had asked for. If he really would, I mean, 
I, I love Lily and Jojo, but that's not happening before dad's dead. I mean, literally for someone to come and ask that, Pastor Rick, for someone to come to you, one of your sons or your, your children say, give that to me. It's literally, they're saying, I wish you were dead right now. I just want what's yours. I don't want anything about you. And then to leave the house saying, I want no relationship with you. Do you know how hurtful that could be? To be walked out on like that, to just, that's what the father had experienced. For someone just to turn away, to go their own way, to waste the life that they were given. And can I tell you, as, as, as heart-wrenching as that feels, but do you know that you and I have done that in our sin, in our lives? When we were apart from God, that was the reality. We had taken the life that we were given, and we went and we, we wasted it away doing whatever it is that we wanted to. That's a story of my life. That's where I, that's where I was at one point in my life. That's where you were as well before Christ found you. We were like that son that had just gone off and the father had given us everything. Everything was available to us, but we weren't experiencing it. We wanted to experience what we wanted to experience. There's a difference between something being available and something being tangible. Us actually experiencing it for ourselves. And so this son, he, he literally did this and he went. And so the Bible says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, this verse always gets me because it's, it's a, it speaks of an awakening. You know what our land needs right now? It needs an awakening. We need an awakening as a nation. We need to wake up. There are things that we've been asleep to for too long. We need to wake up and become aware of it. See it for what it is. And, and so in this moment, all this stuff is unfolding. All of this brokenness is unfolding. And he's just going along with it. And he's hungry. And he's, he's sitting there. I can imagine one day he's there holding the pods. He's in the mud. He's with the pigs. And he just wakes up. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Can you remember that in your life when you just realized, like, the brokenness of what was going on around you? You woke up. And he said this. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He realized how good it was to be with his father. He was awakened to the reality that there's something better in the presence of my father. And I want to tell you, whenever we wake up to that, we realize better is one day in his courts and a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in his presence than anywhere else thinking I have it all together. This is this awakening, and this is the awakening that has to happen in our hearts and in our lives if we really want to have any hope as a people. I promise you this, this is the awakening that needs to happen in our nation if we're going to have a hope moving forward. That better is one day, better is one day with the Lord, knowing that the Father has more than anything this world has to offer us. And so he put together a plan. He thought, you know what? Maybe I could just earn my way in. Maybe I can just come and find a way to, to earn my way piece by piece back into my, the good graces of my, my father's home. I've already given up my sonship. I've already given up my identity. But maybe I'll become like a servant and I'll just serve. And at least I'll have some food to eat. Friends, I, I feel so bad that the Christian faith for some has become reduced down to this idea. That as we see it and we understand God is a God that loves us. God has a plan. God is a God of forgiveness. God is this amazing God that loves us. And many would say yes and amen to that. But there's this problem. You are thinking like this son because you don't believe you're worthy of that love. And because you don't believe you're worthy of that love, you believe you have to earn that love. And so you set off on a path in your life to try to do enough to make God happy with you. 
to be able to earn his love, to be able to earn his affection, to be able to earn something from him. And so he puts together this plan, the plan that so many people are trying to live out. And he said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say this. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'll no longer be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he headed back to go to his father. Could imagine, man, when we've messed up and we have to go to someone who's going to hold us accountable to that, how, how intense that can feel. I'm sure that was a long walk, a heavy walk. And he's still a long way off. I'm sure he's rehearsing what he's going to say. I mean, this, he's filthy. He's, he doesn't even, if he is trying to eat out of the pig pen, can you imagine what he looked like at that moment in time? Do you think if he could have sold something he had to get a little bit of food, he would have sold it? So I can't imagine what he looks like in this moment. I can't imagine what he smells like at this moment. I can't imagine what it would feel like to be able to, do, to, to see that. And I couldn't imagine in this moment that while he's a far way off, his father sees him. And to see the son that left with two-thirds of the estate and to see whatever condition he was as he came back, could you imagine what the father could have felt, what I would have felt? I might have started weeping and just been so upset, so frustrated, so broken. Like, who is that person? What has happened to you? What have you become? I mean, there's so many things that could go through our natural mind, our own frustration to think that, like, what, what's going on? But the Bible says none of that. The Bible says that his father ran to him and he kissed his son and he threw his arms around him. For that day and age, for a man of his stature to run, that was like an undignified thing. It's like, sir, don't run. Like, don't, 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 don't do that. It's kind of embarrassing for, for one to even run. But for that kind of public display, he didn't say, like, come on, go, go. He didn't tell his servants, go get him, bring him around the back, clean him up, then, like, we're going to have this, like, moment to talk. You understand what I'm saying here? Like, he didn't go through any of these things. The father's heart was so moved with compassion and joy to see his son that he just embraces him in the middle of the street or wherever it was. The Bible just says he was a long way off. So what does that say about the father? The father never stopped looking for his son. He never stopped searching, just like the, just like the shepherd, just like the woman. He, he was searching, and somehow while he was a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him right there. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the things about God's love. God's love doesn't care what other people think. His love is just there. He just wants to do what's on his heart. So many of us, we care so much about what other people think that we're, we're missing out on some of God's love to experience and to demonstrate it because we care more about what other people think than what God wants to do in a moment. And the Father wants to do what he wants to do in that moment. And he comes and he, and he totally becomes so vulnerable to embrace this child, embrace his son in his filth, in his brokenness, to meet him. And so the son gets up and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The Bible says that's as far as he can get in his conversation. But the father says, quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, his sandals, his feet. Here's, here's what happens in this moment. Here's what it says. The father says, from his perspective, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And the father says, yes, you are. Go get the robe. Go get this. Go get everything. Here's what he does. 
He has an identity crisis right in front of his father. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father says, let me show you. Let me show you. And what does he do when he clothes him with the robe? What does he do when he gives him the ring? What does he do whenever he puts the sandals on his feet? He makes his identity tangible. He makes his love tangible. He says, put the robe on him. Put the slippers on him. Cover over him. I mean, it's literally covering over his shame, covering over his filth, reminding him of who he really is. Church family, that's the awakening we need. That's the realization we need. That when we come to the Lord, when we come with our hearts open to him, he meets us right where we are and he wraps his loving arms around us and that love has the power to transform everything, to change our hearts, to change our lives forever. And he says then, bring me the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. They began to throw this amazing party. So you see the love of the father. I mean, he was willing to become defiled and unclean for his son. For him, for the father to touch his son after his son had been with the pigs and hadn't gone through a whole religious process of becoming ceremonially clean, the father was going to a place where he was actually defiling himself to embrace his son. Just think about that. He who had no sin became sin for us. He took it on himself. Do you see the love of God on display here? Do you see why Jesus would use this story to describe what's going on? This celebration was all about restoration. It was all about an extravagance. Why? Because the father needed his son to know and experience his love and joy. It wasn't enough that just it was available. It needed to be tangible. It needed to be experienced for him. And when I think about this idea, I, I, I just get to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Look what the Bible says. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That's what we are. Oh, what great love he's lavished on us. That's what's happening in this moment in Scripture. He is embracing, kissing, a gift of a robe, a ring, sandals. These are all emblematic of his honorable restoration, a tangible expression of the love of the Father. Even when he wasn't worthy, he had given up his status. He had given up his inheritance. He had given up everything. He had literally become a slave, a servant in a foreign land. And when he comes back, he's thinking, maybe I can go from being a slave or a servant there and become a servant in my father's household. But the words of Galatians 4, 7 are wild on display here. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. That's the identity of the son. That's your identity, child of God. That's what God has for you. That's what the greater love of the father brings us into. That's why Jesus came, to demonstrate this greater love, to draw us into this greater love, to help us to know it's not a love we can earn, it's not a love we'll ever deserve, but it's a love that's lavished on us if we turn our hearts to the Father, because he loves us like that. He loves us with a greater love. You can't earn your way into it, but here's the deal. He didn't have to earn his way back into his Father's house, but he had to leave the pig pen behind. Hear me on that. Some of us, we have to be willing to let go of some messy things to embrace the love that God has for us. He was waiting. He was searching. He was there. 
But could you imagine if the father had gone to embrace him? He said, no, 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 father, I don't want to come into your house. I want to go lay back in the pig pen. We would never want that. The same is true in our lives. When we leave our sin and our brokenness behind, how could we ever want to return to that? Better is one day in his house. Better is the presence of the father than anything else. But now we get to this next part, and I'll invite the worship team to come up at this time. This is the sad part of, of the story. Because there's another brother. There's an older brother. And the older son, he was in the field. He came near to the house and he heard some music and some dancing and he called to one of the servants and he asked why everyone was so um, excited. And he said, your brother's come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because um, he's back safe and sound. And the older brother became so angry, he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Can you imagine what this brother feels? What are you doing, dad, to be thinking this way? I mean, this is crazy. He said, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, now he's found. Here's the, here's the saddest reality of this story. The saddest part of the story isn't the mess that the younger son finds himself in, in the pig pen. I would think at that point in time, most of the way through it, you're thinking that's the saddest reality. That's the, that's the tragic part of the story. No, the most tragic part of the story is that you have another son who at the end of the story is still standing outside in the field and never comes in to celebrate the father's love. It was available, but it didn't become tangible for him because he refused it, because he could only see it his way, because he was caught up in all of his self-righteousness and self-righteous thinking. And, and the, the word never tells whether this younger, or the, the younger is in there celebrating whether this older brother ever goes in. And there's a reason. Because when we rewind all the way back to the beginning of John chapter, or Luke chapter 15, who does it say that Jesus is talking to? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This whole story was an invitation to not just see the love of God on display. That's what Jesus was displaying, God's incredible love. He was showing the celebration of what happens when anyone who's lost draws near. Jesus is showing that God's love does not look on the outward appearance and on the things that can divide us and define us by physical standards. In fact, God's love sees and rejoices when anyone comes to the Father. He's overjoyed. He celebrates. He honors that. And Jesus is reaching out to those who had become hardened by religion. He said, don't stand on the outside of this, but there's another depth of the Father's love that I want to invite you into. Through this, I feel like Jesus is trying to give them a seat at the table. But they couldn't see past some of the things going on in their own heart and own life to fully enter into the greater love that was on display in that moment. You know, I want to encourage you today 
that the Lord would meet you in this place, that the Lord would touch your heart and your life. It's easy to get caught up in this world. It's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to be in the house and yet missing out on the Father's love. There's someone that's hearing me today, but you've been going to church maybe your whole life. But today your heart feels cold. You're frustrated about different things. And your Heavenly Father wants you to know and experience His love in the depths of your heart. And He wants you to know you're not overlooked. You look at everyone else. They got the promotion. They got this. They got that. Where's my blessing? Where's this? Where's that? And you're just frustrated. You're, you're angry. You're, you're, you're feeling calloused. And you're standing there. And the joy of the Lord isn't your strength anymore. I believe the Lord wants you to know today that there's a greater level of his love that's available to you. Lean into him today. Open your heart to him today. Don't stand on the outside with your arms folded, frustrated. But open your arms and just receive what he has for you. That father said to his son, everything I have is yours. I want you to know the Lord says that to you. All that I am is yours. It's available to you. He wants to make it tangible to you today. But you have to be willing to open your heart, humble your heart, and be available. You know, I think about that Juneteenth holiday that I shared with you at the beginning. I didn't tell you exactly what happened to make that a reality two and a half years later. But back on June 19th, 1865, Major General Gordon Granger led Union Army soldiers into Galveston, Texas, and they had good news. The war is over, and all that are enslaved now have freedom. And they came and they delivered that proclamation. They made that news known. And in that moment, the final parts of enslavery in our nation were eradicated and captives were set free. Oh, what incredible joy. But as I heard that, I thought about what Jesus has come to do for you and for me. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, when Jesus was in the synagogue reading in Nazareth, he read from the scroll of Isaiah that says, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, this has now been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what the Lord wants us to know today. Because he's went to such great lengths to bring that same freedom to every single one of us. That we can be free if we turn our hearts and our lives to Jesus. There is good news that's on display. And it can be available, but maybe it's not yet tangible in your life. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me right now? Let's just pray. Lord, I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice. They may know about your love, but they haven't yet experienced it. They know about your freedom, but they've not yet seen it tangible in their own lives. Your word says who the sun sets free is free indeed. Today, Lord God, there's a freedom we're ready to experience in your presence. Hear me right now as you're praying. We can never be truly free until we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. We've received that good news into our hearts and our lives. We've turned from the pig pen of our sin and our filth and our shame and come home to the Father, turned our hearts towards him with everything we have. So today, if you're ready to do that, 
Maybe you could feel the presence of the Lord meeting you in this moment. Come on, I want you to pray this prayer. This is a prayer to begin a brand new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins. I sinned against you. Today I turn from my sin and I commit to follow you. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again to give me a brand new life. And today I commit to follow you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, we rejoice with those that that are experiencing this for the first time, Lord God. Heaven's rejoicing in this moment as someone's heart and life is turning to you, Lord God. We thank you. You're bringing people, just like the Father said, from death to life, Lord God. But I also pray right now, and some of you are in this place where you feel that coldness, indifference, apathetic. You feel like you're that, that older brother just kind of standing on the outside. The Father is pleading with you to come and experience his love today. Today, I want to pray for you on this Father's Day that the incredible love of the Father is going to flow into your heart, into your life, and begin to heal whatever that is. Begin to restore whatever it is that you might be feeling. Begin to move upon you in a way that only he can. Come on, if that's you right now, would you do one thing for me? Would you just open your hands to heaven and would you just invite the presence of the Lord to meet you in this place? Lord, if you could do anything, Lord, you could surely do this. You can come and meet us right where we are. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Lord God, saturate your children with your love, Lord God. Your sons, your daughters, those that are hurting right now, those that are standing, Lord, God, ready, Lord God, to receive from you in this moment, Lord God. We pray you'd baptize us in your love. Open our eyes to see. Bring us to our senses, Lord God, that we could experience a greater depth of your love than we ever had before. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, praise God with me, church family. We're so excited for what God's doing. Here's what I invite you to do. We're going to go into a song of worship, and I asked them specifically to lead out in this song. This song was inspired by this passage of Scripture that talks about the incredible love of God that He has for us, that chases us down, that fights for us, that leans into us. And after this song, uh, we're going to give you a few more instructions before we close out our service. God bless you, church. We love you.